Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles, Genesis 22 and verse number 15, Genesis 22 and verse 15, I do feel a very specific direction to close out this 25th passing the mantle here today. I believe God's going to help us. Genesis 22 and 15. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. Aren't you thankful he'll call you more than once? And said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee. And in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. I want to look again at verse 17. He said, I will multiply thy seed. Everybody say lineage. I will multiply thy seed or thy lineage as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed. There it is again. Everybody say lineage. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. It was a twofold promise. He said, I'm going to give you seed. I'm going to give you lineage. Now I'm going to tell you what that lineage is going to do. That lineage, that promised seed is going to possess the gate of his enemies. In other words, in this twofold promise, I'm not just going to give you lineage. I'm going to give you land. So that twofold promise, that Abrahamic covenant, was lineage and land. That's what I want to preach to you here this morning, lineage and land. One more time, would you lay your Bibles down? And if you would, just make a point of contact with somebody and connect and join together in agreement. God's about to do something significant in this room. Can you lift your voice all over the house? And let's thunder in this place with expectation. Amen. Let's clap our hands under the Lord, everybody. We love you, Jesus. 
Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. <clears throat> when you look throughout Scripture, you will find out in the Bible that numbers are of great significance in the Bible. We know that the number seven is that number of perfection and wholeness and completion. And three being the minor of seven also speaks of wholeness and completion. The reason that the number three is of significance in Scripture is because when you begin in Genesis and make your way through the Old Testament, you journey through that 400 years of silence and you finally get into the New Testament, you will find out that beginning in Genesis, every habitation of God has been divided into three parts. You have in Genesis that first habitation of God, which is the habitation of creation. And it was divided into three parts in that it begins in the earthly dimension. And then it progresses into the atmosphere or the sky, and then finally it culminates in that heavenly spiritual dimension. Then we see in the book of Exodus where God gives Moses the material and the measurements and the pattern and the plan for the first tangible habitation of God. And it was divided into three parts. It began in that outer court. That eventually it went to the holy place and finally it progressed into the most holy place. And then we see the temple that Solomon built that was purposed in the heart of his father David to build. And it was divided into three parts. It began in that outer court and eventually it went to the holy place uh, and then that most holy place. And then as we journey through that 400 years of silence and we get to the point where Jesus ascends into the heavens, and he pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost and Paul begins to write to the New Testament church and we find out that we are that tabernacle not made with hands. And we are that temple of the Holy Ghost. And just as those Old Testament habitations of God were divided into three parts, man is divided into three parts. For we are that New Testament habitation of God. I want you to know that the habitation of God is not confined to the four walls of this building at Passing the Mantle. But the habitation of God is wherever one of you put your foot. So we are, we are divided into three parts. That is why Paul, he wrote to the church of Thessalonica. and He said, I pray the God of peace would sanctify you holy, spirit, soul, and body. 
I want you to notice there that Paul did not begin in a fleshly dimension and progress into a spiritual dimension. But he began in a spiritual dimension and digressed to a fleshly dimension. The reason for that in his writing is because Paul wanted to drive the point home that it is not the fleshly dimension that should set precedent for everything in the life, but it is that spiritual dimension that should set precedent for everything else in our lives. He wanted us to understand that that spiritual dimension, it is the place of preeminence. You can take those Old Testament habitations of God You can lay them on top of that New Testament habitation of God and they mirror one another. You have that habitation of creation. It began in the earthly dimension and that is synonymous with the outer court or with the body of man. And then it progresses into the sky or the atmosphere and that is synonymous with the holy place, or the soul of man. And then finally you reach that place of preeminence and you get into that heavenly dimension. And that is synonymous with the most holy place or with the spirit of man. I want every person in this room to understand that it is not the will of God for you to get stuck in that outer court or in that holy place. But it is the will of God that every person in this room reach that spiritual dimension where everything in your life is led and directed and governed by the power and the presence of God in your life. A few awkward hand claps right there, but that's all right. We're going somewhere here this morning. So that spirit dimension is the place of preeminence in an individual's life. But I have noticed that, uh, that in the apostolic church, we progress beyond that outer court and we get into that holy place and we camp out in that holy place. But what I want you to understand about the soul of a man is that the soul of a man is very important because it is the soul of a man that is the seat of intellect. It is the soul of a man that is the emotional arena of man. And what is important about that soulish emotional arena is that the soul of a man has the ability to elevate the body to spiritual dimensions or it can drag the spirit down into fleshly dimensions. It is all dependent on what you open your soul or your emotions up to the most. If you spend Monday through Saturday opening your emotions and your soul up to fleshly things, it will drag the spirit down. But if you spend Monday through Saturday before you come to church on Sunday, opening your spirit up to spiritual things, it will 
elevate your flesh into a spiritual dimension. That's why I am alarmed traveling across our movement when we go into our church services and it takes a church an hour and a half just to get into the presence of God. That lets me know that Monday through Saturday they've opened their emotions up to fleshly and carnal things and it takes an hour and a half of singing and another hour of preaching and a 30 minute altar call just to sort through all of their flesh and redirect their emotions back to the things of God. So what happens is, is we get into that emotional, soulish arena and we stop there. And the reason that we do that is because we get into that emotional, soulish arena. We get into that holy place in the tabernacle. And because our emotions are affirmed, we stop there and we equate our emotions being affirmed with getting into the presence of God. That is equivalent to a high priest taking the blood of that lamb and going to the and going to the holy place and offering blood and all of those different all of those different patterns or all of those different places in that holy place and he stops at the veil and he says that his job is done but I want you to know here today there is a dimension beyond the emotion there is a dimension beyond what merely feels good to our intellect and to our emotion and to our flesh. There is a spiritual reality that goes beyond what merely feels good to our emotions. And so we ask the question in Pentecost, uh, where are the miracles in Pentecost? Uh, Where are the blinded eyes being opened? Uh, Where are the lame walking? Where are the dumb talking? Uh, Where are the tumors shriveling up and dying? Uh, Where are the cancerous cells being healed? Where are the dead being raised? I'll tell you where the miracles are in Pentecost. Uh, The miracles are not in that holy place, uh, in that emotional, soulish arena, but the miracles are beyond on the emotions in a spiritual reality because Aaron's rod that budded was not in the holy place. Aaron's rod that budded was in the most holy place. That high priest had to go beyond the emotion and the soulish arena and get into the spirit realm and that's where the authority was. That's where the miracle was. And so if this generation wants to access the miraculous, we have got to get to a place where we are no longer satisfied with just feeling good during the singing and during the instrument playing. We've got to go beyond what feels good and we've got to get into a spiritual reality and that's where the miracles are. Is anybody in this house hungry for that kind of dimension where it might not be what feels good to the flesh, it might not appease your emotions but the miraculous will transpire in the atmosphere so man man is three parts man is three part body soul and spirit there's a lot of debate among theologians that man is not three-part, but man is two-part. And the primary view, which is the view that we believe, and that is that man is body, soul, and spirit, 
The opposing view to that is that man is only two part. Material and immaterial. Tangible and intangible. The reason that there is this opposing view that man is only two part is because sometimes in scripture it is difficult to differentiate between the words soul and spirit. Sometimes soul and spirit overlap. But there are other times in scripture such as when the writer of Hebrews said that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And it is in verses like that that there is a clear distinction between the soul of a man and between the spirit of a man. But I would contend here today that man is both three-part and two-part. We are three-part in that we are body, soul, and spirit. But we are two-part in that we are material, body. And we are immaterial, soul, and spirit. So Paul in his writings, and I'm going somewhere, just stay with me here this morning. Paul, in his writings, he begins to draw a distinction between these two natures of man, between that material nature of man and that immaterial nature of man, between that tangible part of humanity and that intangible part of humanity. And so he begins to write and he talks about the contention between those two natures of man. And he says things like, walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And he says things like, make no provision for the flesh. And he he drives that point home when he says that Abraham had two sons. One son was born of the bondwoman, and the other son was born of the free woman. And he that was born of the bondwoman was born of the flesh. But he that was born of the free woman was by promise. And so the point that Paul is trying to make in his epistles to the New Testament church uh, is that there will always be contention uh, between the flesh and the spirit. I want you to know here today that it doesn't matter how much you pray. And it doesn't matter how much you fast. There will always be contention between the flesh and and the spirit there will always be opposition between the material part of man and the immaterial part of man no matter how much you pray and fast your flesh isn't going anywhere but paul begins to change his language in first corinthians 15 when he is writing to the church of corinth and he says he says something very interesting he says there is a natural body And there is a spiritual body. And Paul begins to use the resurrection of the dead to explain to them the difference between this material part of man and this immaterial part of man. And he writes to them and he says, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be but bare grain. And it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God 
God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body. The imagery that Paul is trying to give the church of Corinth is that that natural body is like a seed that is planted in the ground and on the inside of that seed is the spiritual body of man. And when that seed is buried in the darkness of the earth, it begins to break down and deconstruct and all of the spiritual elements on the inside of it begin to break forth from that natural man and it comes through the soil of the earth. I want to preach to somebody in this house and tell you that you might have gone into the soil of your circumstance as a seed but you're not going to resurrect as a seed but there is greatness on the inside of that seed and whenever you are buried in the darkness of your mess there is a breaking down that takes place of the flesh and on the inside of you there is greatness that is going to begin to break forth and when you come out of this thing you're going to be greater than what you were whenever you went into this thing what you resurrect as is not what you were buried as you might have been buried as a seed that seems insignificant but when you come out of this there's going to be a great anointing that saturates your life. So Paul, he changes his language a little bit. In other parts of his writings, he says that there is a natural man and a spiritual man, or a natural nature and a spiritual nature. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I don't believe that it is coincidence that he used the word body there because Paul had an understanding that the natural is a reflection of the spiritual. And just as you have senses in the natural body, you have senses in the spiritual body. And just as you have organs in the natural body, you have organs in the spiritual body, which is why Paul was able to write things like, what is the mind of the spirit? Because Paul understood that just as the natural body has a mind, the spirit realm also has a mind. And I want this generation to know that in this hour, God is looking for individuals that have an awareness of what the eye cannot see, what the ear cannot hear, what the nose cannot smell, what the mouth cannot taste, and what the hands cannot feel. That's why at the end of this chapter, he said that flesh and blood will not be able to inherit the kingdom of God. Can I tell you that there are some things in the kingdom we cannot possess until we step out of the flesh and we get into the spirit realm. And so if there's anybody in Scripture that knows what it's like to step outside of that natural body and get into that spiritual body, it was a man by the name of Moses. John, in his first chapter in John chapter 1, he said, No man hath seen God at any time. But that seems like a contradiction to me. How can John say no man hath seen God at any time? Yet in Exodus 33 and 11, the Bible says that the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man does a friend. It is because before God manifests himself in the flesh, he was just a spirit. 
And we know that a spirit has not flesh and bones. So whenever the Bible said the Lord spake unto Moses face to face uh, as a man does a friend, Moses uh, was not seeing the visible, tangible face of God. But Moses reached a place in the spirit where he transcended the natural body and he was now operating in that spiritual body. And he was able to see God face to face in the spiritual body. But it doesn't stop there. Moses steps out of the spirit and he gets into that fleshly dimension and he makes a request and he says, Lord, show me your glory. But God speaks to Moses and says, no man can see my face and live. There's another seeming contradiction. How can verse 11 say the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man does a friend? But now, later on in the same chapter, God is saying, no man can see my face and live. It's because Moses was vacillating between the natural body and the spiritual body. He was going back and forth between the flesh and the spirit. And so God speaks to Moses and he says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock and my glory is going to pass by you and watch this. He said, my face you will not be able to see, but you're going to see my hinder parts. You know what God was saying to Moses? He was saying, when you operate in the flesh you're not going to see glory coming you're only going to see glory leaving whenever you operate in the flesh you're not going to see glory arriving you're going to see glory departing it is not the will of God that we operate in merely fleshly dimensions because if we do we're going to see miracles walking out the door We're going to see signs and wonders walking out the door. We're going to see the gifts of the Spirit walking out the door. But I believe this is a group of people that have got a made-up mind. We want to transcend the natural body. And we want to operate in that spiritual body and see what we can only see in the Spirit. So if there's anybody else in Scripture that knows what it's like to transcend that natural body. It's a man by the name of Jacob. The Bible said, and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto Jacob, what is thy name? And he said unto Jacob, and he said, Jacob, and he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince has thy power with God and with men, and has prevailed. And watch this. The Bible said that Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face. I want you to know that up to that point in Jacob's life, everything that he possessed, everything that he acquired, he acquired it of his own cognition. He possessed it of his own talent and his own ability. But it was not until God broke the natural body that Jacob was able to see God face to face and his life was preserved. There are individuals in this house. You've been in a wrestling match and you think that it's the enemy. You think that it's the devil. You think it's the adversary. I want you to know it's not the devil.
devil. It's just God trying to break your natural body so that you can possess everything he wants you to possess. Come on, somebody in this house uh, ought to be thankful that God loves you enough uh, to, go a, to go to a wrestling match with you and break down everything in your life uh, that does not play into his plan. I understand that it's not fun, but I was in prayer several months ago and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Caleb, you've got to understand that Jacob's limp is what saved Jacob's lineage. Jacob's limp is what saved Jacob's lineage. Uh, had Jacob not got into a position uh, where God broke some things in his life, uh, then every tribe of Israel that came uh, from the DNA of Jacob, uh, they would have struggled with the same deception. Uh, they would have fought with the same uh, kind of manipulative mindset that Jacob had. Uh, but God said it was Jacob's limp uh, that saved Jacob's lineage. Uh, you ought to be thankful that God broke your flesh. Uh, now your kids may Marriage doesn't have to end in divorce because you walk with a limp. Now your son doesn't have to be an alcoholic because God broke that area of your life. Now your daughter doesn't have to be promiscuous because God broke that area of your life. Now your kids don't have to know poverty and a welfare mentality because God broke that area of your life. Aren't you thankful today that you went out of the natural body and stepped into that spiritual body? Let's love the Lord all over this house. So it was Jacob's limp that saved Jacob's lineage. There are some things your kids are never going to have to fight because you were willing to go to a wrestling match with God and let him break that natural body so that you can operate in that spiritual body. And we like to preach about how God changed his name. Yeah, we like that story, how God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. But we stop there. But a few verses later, Brother Santamiri, here's what the Bible says. It says that the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank unto this day. It is because they had an understanding that when God breaks an area of your flesh, you cannot go back and feed on that same area of your flesh. Can I preach to you here today that it was God's job to change his alignment, but it was Jacob's job to change his appetite. I said it was God's job to change your alignment, but it's your job to change your appetite. Yeah, God might have weakened your flesh, and now you don't walk how you used to walk. You don't dress how you used to dress. You don't date who you used to date. You don't watch who you used to watch, but you got to change your appetite. You cannot go back and feed on that area of flesh. 
You want to know what some of you need to do? You need to have radical amputation. You're still making room for the flesh. You need to go home and block that old number. You need to unfollow them on Facebook. You need, come on, you need to cancel this subscription. There ought to be somebody in this house that shouts and says, I'm not going back to what I used to be. I feel a wrestling match going on in this room right now. There's some of you in this room right now, you're wrestling and you think it's the enemy. You think it's a temptation from the enemy. But really it's God trying to pull you in one direction. And your flesh trying to pull you in another direction. And God saying, if you'll just hold on a little while, I'll weaken that area of your flesh. But when you get up from Jabok, Jacob, you cannot make provision for the flesh. You need to end the relationship, cancel the subscription, empty out the closet, do whatever you got to do, but don't eat of the sinew which strengthen your life. It seems confusing, Bishop. Because in that moment when God changed his name from Jacob to Israel, we see where Jacob continues to traverse back and forth from that natural body to that spiritual body. And there's sometimes that he's called Jacob, but other times he's called Israel. But what you've got to understand about that in the text is that when he is referred to as Jacob, God is speaking to that natural body. When he's referred to as Jacob, God is speaking to the natural posterity of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But when he is referred to as Israel, that is God sorting through the fleshly nature of that nation. And he's speaking to the spiritual body of Israel. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, the Lord sent a word to Jacob. That's the natural body. But it lighted upon Israel. That's the spiritual body. You want to know what God is saying in that? He's saying, I won't everybody to get a hold of what I'm doing in the earth but only the spiritual Israel is going to possess what I've got for them to possess don't be deceived here today at the end of the day not everybody's going to have revival at the end of the day not everybody's going to see miracles at the end of the day not everybody is going to have the harvest you want to know who is going to have the harvest it's not Jacob it's Israel and I wish Israel would identify themselves in this would identify themselves in this house right now and say we're not satisfied with emotion and the flesh we want the spiritual aspect we want the supernatural See, here it is right now. I've noticed it. I've noticed it. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but I've noticed it in this meeting. I've noticed it. During the music, and when a preacher's screaming in the microphone, we get into that, soul, that soulish, emotional arena. But when a preacher sits the microphone down and walks away, 
The Holy Ghost is still here, but we stand around like we don't know what to do with it. Because we get into that soulish, emotional arena. And then we equate that with getting into the spirit realm. And we stop there. And we miss what God really wants to do in a moment. Because we go to that veil. And when we bump up against that veil, we stop. Because our emotions have already been affirmed. We already feel the goosebumps. We've already shed the tears. The hair has already started standing up on the back of our necks. So why push beyond this flesh when our emotions are already enjoying the atmosphere? But the spirit realm is not based on emotion. The holy place was just an access point to the most holy place. Eventually, you have to go beyond what you merely feel. And you have to tap into a spiritual reality where the atmosphere and the byproduct of the atmosphere transcends what you merely feel. Hold on, hold on. I'm not preaching for applause right now. I'm trying to preach so that we can grab a hold of this. Because I've noticed in our movement, especially at youth meetings, we go and we dance and we shout and we feel the exhilaration and the hype and the goosebumps. And then we stop there. Because our emotions are affirmed. I keep having something bump me in this room and I'm going to just try to plow through this thing right now and tell you what I feel. I feel very strongly in the Holy Ghost that there are people in this room that have been here long enough to know what this pastor believes. But you're in a wrestling match and you're saying, I just don't feel conviction about that yet. Eventually, you have to go beyond whether you feel something or not. And you have to align with what the Word of God says and with what the man of God teaches. Whether you feel conviction about it or not is irrelevant. It's what the Word of God says. But you're in this wrestling match where the flesh is pulling you one direction and the Spirit is pulling you another direction. And until God weakens that area of your life, you can never possess everything that God has for you to possess in the kingdom. Let's lift our hands and let's pray here for a moment. I wish you'd pray until you get beyond your flesh and your emotion here for just a moment.
So here it is, lineage and land. God gave Abraham that dual promise. He said, I'm going to give you lineage, but I'm also going to give you land. What he was saying to Abraham was the promised land is only for the promised lineage. You were never meant to coexist with any other nation. This land is only for the promised lineage. But he said, before you can possess that land, there's going to come a day where your lineage is strangers in a land that is not theirs. And when they come out of that strange land, they're going to come out with great substance. There are backsliders that are connected to this church. There are backsliders that are connected to people in this building right now. And right now they are strangers in a land that is not theirs. Uh, but I feel in the Holy Ghost to tell you when they come back uh, to the promised land, they are coming back with great substance. You know that boy that's not here at Passing the Mantle this year, but he was at Passing the Mantle last year, and over the last 365 days, uh, he's made a mess out of his life. Uh, right now, he's a stranger in a land that is not his. Uh, but when God brings that boy back, uh, God might raise that boy up to be a prophet in the earth. You know that young lady that's backslid and she's wrecked her life and she's lost and she's promiscuous and she got pregnant out of wedlock. When God brings that young lady back, he'll raise her up and make her the greatest intercessor that your generation has ever seen before. Don't give up on your lost family. That land of Egypt, that's not their land. You want to know what land is theirs? It's the promised land. Somebody ought to shout for your prodigal in this house right now. Egypt is not their land. Canaan is their land. Somebody pray in the Holy Ghost in this house right now. You know what? Let me preach to somebody in this room. You used to be a prodigal. And since you've come back to God, you've got a greater love for the Father's house than you ever have. But the enemy has lied to you and said, you've wasted too much time in Egypt. You're still bound by the flesh in Egypt. You better hear me in this house. When God brought you back, he didn't restore you halfway. He restored you all the way. You're a son of God. And God's got an anointing for your life that'll turn your generation upside down you ought to shout because you're back you're not what you used to be you're now saved you're restored you've got the fatted calf you've got the ring you've got the robe great substance Lineage and land. I know that this has been tough, but I'm trying to help this generation. 
lineage and land. Because whenever Abraham got that promise and Sarah got that promise, the Bible said that Abraham took matters into his own hands. What you've got to understand about emotion, it says that Ishmael was born of the flesh. But Ishmael was not just a product of flesh. Ishmael was a product of emotion acted out through the flesh. In order for an emotion to bear fruit, it needs the vehicle of flesh to act it out. And so the emotion that Abraham felt was the emotion of doubt and impatience. He wanted to produce it now. He wanted to produce it conveniently. And so that emotion causes him to act out in the flesh. The Bible said he goes in unto Hagar and he produces Ishmael. And finally, the angel shows up at the time of life. And Sarah gives birth to her promised son, Isaac. But the Bible goes on to say that Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, mocking. And she said, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for he shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. You know what that word mocking there means in the Hebrew? It means laughter. It is the same Hebrew word used whenever the Bible said that Sarah laughed within herself when the angel promised her the son Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? It means laughter. And so when it said that the son of Hagar the Egyptian was mocking, he was laughing. The imagery there is that what was born of the flesh and emotion was coming up and was posing as what was born of the Spirit. What was born of the flesh and emotion was impersonating what was born of the Spirit. And we've got things in Pentecost that look like the Spirit and sound like the Spirit and feel like the Spirit. But really, it's just a byproduct of an emotion we've learned to produce. And a lot of us have gotten to the place where we cannot differentiate between an atmosphere we produce and manufacture in emotion and flesh or an atmosphere that truly comes from the throne room of God. How many times have we gone to youth conventions and youth camps and we've missed a moment with God because we were down to the millisecond with a service schedule? And when the bass started thumping and the organ started playing and the soloist started singing and the preacher started screaming, the emotion came and we think we're here. When really it's just a byproduct of emotion because we wanted to produce it Right then.
instead of getting into a prayer closet or starting off the service with prayer and waiting on the Holy Ghost begin to move waiting on God begin to begin to move before we ever pick up an instrument or anybody ever grabs a microphone and we wait on God to produce what only God can produce hold on I'm, I'm not preaching for applause right now I appreciate it but there is such an urgency in me to preach to this generation because we are so enamored with what we've learned to manufacture in flesh and emotion that God's got to disrupt that in us and we got to get back to the place where we say we're going to wait on God however long we got to wait on God and we're not doing anything until a genuine move of the Holy Ghost takes place anybody hungry for what I'm preaching about Let's lift our hands and let's pray. I'm almost done, but I, I need you to stay with me. I'm almost done. And if you don't think it's a problem, if you don't think what I'm, what I'm saying here today is a problem, consider the madness that is the Middle East. Even today, the conflict in the Middle East goes all the way back to that moment where Abraham tried to produce in the flesh and in the emotion what God said he wants to produce in the spirit. And they're fighting over that covenant land because the sons of Ishmael have just enough of the father's DNA to think that they have rights to what the father has promised Isaac. The problem with flesh and emotion is that God gave you flesh and emotion. And it can produce sensations and feelings that will convince you that that is the same as what God produces in the spirit. It has just enough of the Father's DNA to try and claim what God said he wants to give you in the spirit. So here it is. I said all of that to get right here to this point. Listen to me. I said all of that to get right here to this point in the message. The Bible said that Hagar takes her son Ishmael and she goes and she carries him a great distance off and she lays him under a tree and she leaves him there to die. And as she is walking away to leave him there to die, God speaks to her and says, lift up the lad for I will make of him a great nation. That is one part of the same promise that he gave to Abraham concerning Isaac. I'll give you lineage, but you never read where God promised Ishmael land. You know what God's saying in that? When it comes to what's produced in the flesh, 
I'll let it produce, but I'll never let it possess. When it comes to what we can manufacture in the flesh and in our emotion, God is saying, I'll let it continue, but I'll never let it conquer. The descendants of Ishmael are in great number. And they have been attacking Israel for weeks. Trying to claim that land that God promised Isaac generations ago. But God's already spoken. I'll give them numbers. But I won't give them land. I'll let them reproduce. But I'll never give them the reward of territory. I know I'm taking some time here, but I'm telling you, I feel such an urgency on me concerning this generation. Because if we're not careful, we'll start looking at other groups of people and we'll see their numbers. And we'll say, well, they've got the gifts of the Spirit. They've got a little bit of Abraham's DNA. They talk in tongues, but they don't have holiness. They don't have Jesus' name, baptism. They don't have the oneness of God. But yet they're growing in large number. You know what God's saying? He's trying to remind us that just as it was with the contention between Ishmael and Isaac, even so it is now. When it comes to what is born of the flesh and emotion, he will let it perpetuate, but he will never let it possess. You want to know who Kansas City belongs to? It belongs to the Life Church. You want to know who your, you want to know who your city belongs to? It doesn't belong to the large non-denominational church that runs 5,000 people. It belongs to the one God, Jesus' name, apostolic people. Because the promised land, Isaac, is only for the promised lineage. Let's stand all over the house and let's lift our hands. Why don't you pray until you go beyond the veil of that flesh? Come on. This is not just, this is not just a corporate word. This is an individual word. And it's not just an individual word. This is a corporate word. On a corporate level and an individual level, when it comes to the flesh and emotion, God will let it perpetuate, but he'll never let it possess. God will let you keep doing what you've been doing. 
God will let you keep operating in the flesh if that's what you want to do. You can come in with your long hair and your long skirt. You can come in modest. You can come in and you can have the lingo. You can know when to clap on beat. You can learn how to feel the emotion. God will let that perpetuate. But if you stop there, you'll never possess everything God has for you to possess. God will let that continue. But you'll never conquer things in the spirit that he meant for you to conquer. If you stop in that holy place, in that soulish, emotional arena, and think that that's all there is to this. So here's what we're going to do. This altar is open. If you are hungry to go beyond merely the flesh and your emotion and you are ready to step into that spiritual body and get to the place in your walk with God where you possess everything God has for you to possess, would you make your way out of your seat and would you flood this altar? And when you get here, would you lift your voice and would you begin to pray? And would you begin to call on God? Life Church, this is not just for the guests. This is for you. Guess this is not just for life, church. This is you. I would urge everybody out of their seats and around this altar. Come on. I know this is a challenging word. I know this is a challenging word. But you got to pray until you get beyond merely what you feel. Come on, you don't need to wait for more instruction and direction in this altar call. You ought to pray until you get caught up in the spirit. When's the last time you prayed until you went beyond just the goosebumps and you got lost in the presence of God? Come on, I challenge, I issue a challenge in this room. Pray until you get lost in the presence of God. Go! Come on, that's it. You got to go beyond the veil. You got to go beyond emotion. Emotion is just the doorway.
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this, but I, I cannot get away from this. I cannot get away from this. I, I can feel that contention. I can feel that wrestling match taking place between that natural body and that spiritual body. And used to, when I read that story of Jacob wrestling with God, I imagined it, Brother Santamiri, as though, as though they stayed in one spot. He was just latched on to his leg and that angel was saying, let me go for the day breaketh. And they were just immobile. They just stayed in one spot. But when I started thinking about that, when you think of the violence of wrestling with the natural and the spiritual, I would imagine that angel drug him all over Jabok. Dust was flying. Scratches all over his body. Probably bloodied up from being drugged all over that place by that angel. As I look back over my life, I realize that my limp will save my lineage. Because there are things in generations before me and my father and grandfather and mother and grandmother that was never broken in their lives. And I can look back and pinpoint different situations in my life in different seasons where at the time I wanted to blame the enemy. But really it was just God saying, Caleb, I love you enough to put you in a wrestling match with me until you get to the point where you give up and you let me break this area of your life so that your kids don't have to fight it. He I'm telling you, generations are going to be saved in this altar call right now. Boy, I feel angels. An angel just walked into this room. When I count to three, I'm going to sit this microphone down. And you better go to, you better start wrestling with God in this house until you let God break that area of your flesh and you step beyond the natural body and you begin to walk in that spiritual body. Are you ready? One, two, three. Begin to wrestle right now. Wrestle. Lift your voice. Wrestle. God saving your lineage. God saving generations in this house. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, Jacob. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.